All right. We're out again. Okay, so I believe we left off. We just finished with Craig with you, and so now Carol, it's your turn, so we'll go right ahead. Okay. Um, I, you know, like most people, I'm more philosophical than actually answering um, what knowledge is of most work. Um, and thinking um, of reconstructivism and um, core curriculum, and I'm a, I'm a constructivist when I'm teaching writing, when I'm teaching a lot of things, but I also want my students to fulfill a core of facts, of facts of knowledge. Um, and for me, um, process isn't enough, you know. It, it's important, but there has to be more than process. There has to be the facts behind the process for me. Um, I, I know um, Paulo Freire used a banking metaphor to criticize, you know, just pouring facts in. But I'm thankful for teachers in my life who um, have made deposits. And I even think about this class. Um, Beth teaches us constructively, but she makes sure we learn basic vocabulary and facts and people. And um, so I think those are important along with having time to reflect, having time to process things. Um, and, um, psychologists and neurologists, being braced educators, really have shown that all learning, whether it's factual based or it's process oriented, everything is constructed learning. Um, whether it's teacher generated or student generated, it builds one thing on top of the other. Um, so, what, what I'm saying is, you know, that if we develop something together, a core curriculum can help us know what our students need to know. And we really do know that because all of us expect the teacher before us to have taught certain things. And so um, it's not that hard, I don't think, probably, to identify our core curriculum. I've never worried about the tests. I mean, you know, we can, they're neither here nor there. I just teach to my students without, I mean, sure, you have to know what's on the test to, so that you know that you're covering certain things. But if it's in our core curriculum, then we don't have to worry about the test when we're teaching. We just teach our core and um, let the test fall where they may. So that's what I had to say. Craig and then Yeah, I um with the, the phrase core curriculum, it's a phrase we use in our district. Um, I don't know what to think. Yeah, I've just started thinking about recently actually, so I guess I don't know what I'm thinking. Is that with the core curriculum we're starting we're putting a big emphasis on the core curriculum. That's like one of our school goals. We're saying we're gonna get back to basics, especially in some of it's test driven and some of it's not. But this is our core curriculum and I had an idea, I didn't know what exactly that meant. Then, so I asked, and it was very clear, it was English, math, and science. That's our core curriculum. And I said, well, it's good, yeah, I'm in English, so let's put more attention there, I love that, and more reading, and more. But the, uh, then what I'm finding is, I, I think if I was not part of the core curriculum, it's like you're in the in crowd, or you're not. <coughs> if I was not part of the core curriculum, I'd probably be pretty mad, because 
we're now giving an extra half hour to English classes every Thursday. And we're now doing some stuff with math classes. Uh, we're giving more time to math. And we're paying math teachers to stay and come in as tutors in the morning. We do things in the afternoon. There's like a lot more emphasis on the math side. And, and here, you know, some of the people I coach with are physical education teachers. It's like they're not getting that attention or they're not getting that funding. And so it's kind of like, uh, yeah, the core curriculum, I'm buying into that. I think there, should, there is like some, we should stick with the same three R's or whatever it might be, whatever the core is now, I think it's changing science and science and reading and math. But then to an extent, I'm also thinking, geez, what knowledge is more, most worth? Now I'm biased, I think reading, of course, is worthwhile to anybody, but to the, to the student, I mean, they would say, not only is it not of the most worth, it's of no worth, math, like geometry is of no worth, some students would say. And, and I'm not saying that they're true and saying that, or physics, we were saying, some of us had to take physics and more, because that was one that was brought earlier. That would be a no, that's a no work in my job now, and I'm sure a physics teacher here would gasp. I'm actually friends with a physics teacher, you'd be smacking me right now. So, it's, so I think the core curriculum, that, that, that could, we could be headed down a slippery slope with the emphasis going forward. All right, who? I, I believe in the core curriculum too, but I, I also believe that it has to be age appropriate and development correct as well. And one of the things that I, I was in the classroom um, in third grade, when I taught third grade for five years, one of the things that was state-driven was the ISAT, was uh, the writing portion, where the third grade they had to be tested, you know, they had to write persuasive expository narrative. And let me tell you something, for the first three quarters of that year, I mean, we just drill, drill, drill to death. This is what you need to do, this is what, how many pay, uh, sentences you need, this is what you had to do. I mean, it's, it's the point where when, um, it was, it, I hated writing because of that, you know, and, and, and it's such a, it's such a freeing experience and, and of, of expressing yourself written-wise, and I've kept journals and everything like that, but my goodness, no wonder why the kids get turned off by this. And so it just, it was one of those things where it disheartened me. And I remember our fourth quarter, that's when it was like a free fall. We did free writing, we did poetry, we had a ball. And it was just at that point, it was like, why couldn't we have done this? Why couldn't we have shown them the joy of writing instead of the what the state wants to see? And that's where I really feel that core curriculum has to be appropriate and age appropriate, developmentally appropriate for the child. Because let me tell you something, at fourth, I have fourth grade students right now who are asking me, how many sentences do I need? How many, how, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, it doesn't matter, just put your thoughts down. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I <laughs> Oh, okay. I'm after. I'm after Jen. Oh, are you after her? Oh, did I? Okay, okay, then Carol, Jane, Helen. Okay, so Carol, go ahead. Yeah, I probably should have qualified that. You know, K-8 would be the main area that I would say for a core curriculum. And from what Hoon said, I was never so surprised when I was supervising a student teacher this fall. And she told me that third graders were supposed to know themes. Now, you know, I mean, it's easy for me to say because I'm at the college level and you guys are there with the test, okay? But I, you know, I still think that's not age appropriate. They, they don't think abstractly. So I would still teach what I would teach. Now, I, I know it's hard because you have to come up with a certain number. But on the third grade test, 
third graders aren't supposed to answer everything at, that there are supposed to be questions that third graders mm -hmm. can't answer, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe, I don't know, maybe the test has to be proven to go up down to like an appropriate instead of trying to teach everything that is on it. I, that's an opinion, and you know, it's, it's uh, easier for me to say than the rest of you, I realize that, so, for those who are at that level, so. Hey, um, when you brought up the developmentally appropriate age, it struck me back to one of the first classes, and I don't remember if it was Sandy or Sue, but, mentioned the age appropriateness and it really was like, oh, and it had, had me thinking about foreign language. And when the kids get to level four, they're discussing literature and history with the mind of a 16 or 17 year old, but the vocabulary of a four year old. And it puts them in a really difficult position. And I remember you, some of the things you guys were telling me, the counting of money when they're in preschool or kindergarten why aren't they learning language when that would be so developmentally correct for them? And then, yeah, when they are 16 or 17, then they'll have the vocabulary to be talking about the history and the literature. And that just struck me, it reminded me of the counting of the money versus, oh, why don't they do something more age appropriate? Instead of tracking them in this with this four-year-old vocabulary and trying to discuss adult concepts. I said last week, and speaking of being developmentally ready, I had a fifth grader that um, uh, has an IEP, and um, we did small groups as reading teachers we took small groups. But during the reading portion, you know, takes, uh, first part was you read it, answered questions. Second time, <laughs> read it, answered two passages, and they had to extend a response. Extend a response for both of them. Well, extended response, not on that one. I got them for that first one, it was the last day, the third extended response that they did, or however it was, that, that last question they had to do. He sat, he cried. He looked at me and he said, now he's on a barely a third grade level in fifth grade. He asked me, he says, why can't you read it to me? And I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at this child, trying to explain to him why I can't help him with this test. It is too hard. It is, he finally didn't do it. That finally got, we got to the point where I tried, I sat down with him, we went over, I can't even, I can't, but I went over what the question was, you know, he read it to him and I said, just, you know, read. he didn't understand the question. And it's like, I can't help you. And to see that child sit there it just, that's why the test just angered me to no end to see those kids that they, they can't do it. And so finally he just, I, we just got, he sat there for the longest time. I calmed him down, keep on having an almost a nervous breakdown, tell him, you know what, never mind. Don't worry about it. We're done. We had our snack and we were good. <laughs> because he couldn't do it. And they give them as much time as they need for that day. It wouldn't have made any difference. It would have made another, he could have sat there for two hours and nothing was going to change. Nothing. And it's like, why, why can you, why, how can you put these kids through these tests? And when you said about the 
uh, special ed, and we talked about it's they're not ready. He's barely on a third grade level, you know, and they're trying to cram fifth grade work into this child. He can't do it, and it just breaks my heart. Just, you know, just it's the best way. I cannot hate. I hate these kids. I really hate them. But look, not for the regular kids, for those for those kids who literally cannot do it, and they make them do it. It's just sad. Anyway, that was my comment. <laughs> Sue, I think you're next, and then boom, is after you. Well, the the theme of assessment, evaluation of children's understanding and knowledge is, is run throughout our conversation. And after, you know, you talked, Carol, what you said made sense and theoretically it should work. The reason it's not working, the reason a lot of us sitting here struggle with, with assessment of children's understanding through standardized testing is because I think in our country um, our government has determined that the knowledge of most worth is knowledge of test taking skills. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the ISAT doesn't test functional writing. The ISAT tests how well a child can write according to a very, very narrow, decontextualized rubric of skills. So I think the bigger question is not so much, you know, about what testing methods we should use, but I think the fact that there is an incredible amount of emphasis and pressure now on teachers to prepare their children to take these high-stakes tests is indicative of what we're talking about here, of what knowledge is most worth. And we talked about transfer generalization of knowledge. Well, I don't think too many people would agree that there's a lot of valuable general generalization of test-taking knowledge outside of our scholarly lives, yet we're putting more and more emphasis on it. Well, um, I'm just going to be a matter of a suit because when you said about the test being that a percentage is not supposed to be able to answer questions, you're absolutely right. That is right. Um, but with NCLB, it, that goal is that every child is to be able to take the test and be able to score it within a 100% range, which isn't, theoretically, it can't be possible, it can't be obtained. And the, the thing is, though, a pop, uh, remember the nice bell curve? There's no more bell curve, it's this now, this is what they want. They just want the, the little peak, that's it. Everyone is right here. And and our society's not made up like that. We're so diverse, our, our intelligence are different, our interests are different. Uh, this one child that I have that I thought of, my IEP kid that I was uh, working with during the ISAC, math, it comes so naturally to him, but it has to be read to him because he can't read. He can't read, he gets frustrated, and he can't sit still to save his life. But um, the read test, when I couldn't read anything to him, it was torturous for me. You don't know how many times I have to pick him up and say, let's go for a walk. You have, I mean, and he's just, I don't want to, I don't want to, and yet he's laying on the floor. And I know he needs that break and he needs to go for a walk, but I can't help him read it. I know he can't read a four page, it was a four page story. Yeah, it was four pages.
pages of text with 10 questions afterwards and an extended response. I was just livid with the fact that when he got to the extended response, because I know he was just filling in bubbles. When he got to the ten extended response, I was just like, okay, just read it out loud. There's no one here, just read it out loud. And he's trying to do this. And I'm like, go back to that word, you know? And I know I'm not supposed to do that, but I was like, go back to, I didn't give him the word, I just told him to go back to that word. And I'm like, think of something you want to write. I'm like, just write that because you still get a one for writing something. You can get a one for writing your name down. You know, and it's just like, a one is better than a zero. That's all I said. Okay, and I'm like, are you done? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, we're done. But let me tell you, theoretically, it's supposed to be true if that's what our purpose is, to see, you know, in the bell curve where the child, you know, lays. And that's all we're using the, the test for, but we're not. We're using this test to report back to the federal government that all our children are reading at the grade level, all our children are meeting their needs in mathematics, and now I heard writing's coming back in 2009. So. Next year. Is, is it coming back next year? It's not next year. It is. It's coming back next year. Next year. For fifth grade. Okay. Um, Ina and Tracy. Yeah. strikes me, and maybe it's because I teach social studies, we're all voters. 
we take back our schools. We are the professionals. Why is our union, why don't we get it? Why, why are our unions not fighting this like they should be? We should be saying, no, we want our schools back. We want to do, we know what's good for our kids and stay out of it. And I think it's time. In this project, we get to choose our own. So we could make a test that would be realistic. Um, we, you know, we, we can decide on the core curriculum. We can make it developmentally appropriate and um, take it back, like Tracy said. Very good. Well, you just had your first dialogic circle. <laughs> let me let me sum it up before we wrap up though. Wow. There's a lot to sum up, so I will actually try to get this all in. So yeah, we started off tonight by going around and sharing how we felt about doing the dialogic circle. And uh, everyone seems to be very receptive to it. Um, I think you said you were interested in it, it's a new way of learning. Um, and Sue, you were interested in the transformation that the dialogic circles might bring about. Um, then we got into the, well, the question, what knowledge is most worth? And I think Tracy started us off with uh, uh, saying humans want a better life, uh, basic needs satisfied, and the knowledge is in the eye of the beholder, which started, basically generated one of our first themes, which was uh, the context uh, for teaching. Well, the, what knowledge is most worth might depend on context and individual uh, instruction. Uh, and you also talked about a holistic uh, model of education, a holistic curriculum that uh, would provide variety beyond, beyond the uh, three hours. And Linda, you talked about um, about the, the, the approach, the academic approach that isolates individual topics and how that you thought was not appropriate, and you like the more uh, uh, holistic approach as well. You actually talked about lifelong learners and um, the learning community, and that you thought about, and, and, and then we had a little discussion about what a learning community is uh, as well. And then, let's see, flip ahead. And basic needs, uh, Debbie, you brought that up again. Um, so that basic needs and the context again was brought up. Uh, and then let's see. But then there was a little debate. And it was about like, is it all about context? Is it all about individualized learning? And then Jennifer, you instigated this by saying, if it's different for everyone, how can it be different for everyone? Uh, so then we got into a discussion about differentiated instruction, uh, which then led to sort of a debate about the three R's versus a more, well, a, 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 a curriculum based on life skills, caring and nurturing. There's also lots of discussion about curiosity, instigating um, the quest for knowledge. Um, well, we have a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we talked about the intimacy of learning, learning as a personal connection. Uh, let's see. And we also had a discussion about transferability. And there was a little debate about that. Is it possible for, for is, is the transferability even possible? Uh, and 
are all subjects transferable? So we discussed that a bit as well. And then, uh, well, let me just finish up, and then we have to wrap up. I just, because there's a lot of other, I just say the themes we did generate and ruminate on. Uh, and I talked about some of them already. Individual instruction uh, in its relation to uh, in the intimacy of the teaching and learning experience. Talked about lifelong learning uh, and also about individualized instruction uh, and that the context each individual student's uh, situation might determine what they think is most important, the most important form of knowledge to them or uh, may affect the way that they are taught. Uh, most effectively, um, I think we. I think I covered the curiosity differentiated versus um, isolated. So I think I just got everything. All right, and then we just finished up with a discussion about standardized testing and its ramifications for what knowledge is most important. So I hope that was coherent. <laughs> I tried to tie it all up. And I hope you enjoyed the experience. So uh, when we come back in two weeks, we will pick up with. Try to remember which way you're seated. If not, just make sure, like, just make sure that we have you. you the that, same, yeah, yeah. yeah, the same. Yeah, the people who are actually haven't talked already are all on the same side. So anyway, um, any questions about anything? No, but thank you for the same. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One last thing before we wrap wrap up. What I hope. Um, that you were able to uh, experience that I don't think is apparent when you describe this up front is, well, basically, what I, what I thought, I'll talk about my own experience, was awkward was this, the, this, the, 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 the pause that you have between when you, when you, you want to say something and you have to wait your turn. Then, like, <laughs> the, 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 where, where you just to immediately just expressing yourself. And, I, and, and at first I thought it would be frustrating or awkward or stilted. But I actually ended up liking it because it gave me a, a chance to really process what I was going to say over and over again in relation to other people's responses before I had my turn to speak. So I ended up really enjoying that. Um, so I hope that you enjoyed it as well. It's a different way of you know having a discussion, but I think it actually really it creates an interior dialogue in your head in addition to the one that's going on uh, amongst all of us. So, yeah. I have a hearing deficiency, so if people talk at the same time, mm -hmm. I can't understand anybody. And by forcing us to speak one at a time, you don't get that talking over each other. That happens a lot of times in discussions. And I really appreciated being able to hear everybody's, what they had to say without them being cut off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good too. Aside of even just what we talked about, I feel like I know everyone in here way better than I did when I came in, so I can only imagine what that would do for me and my students. Mm -hmm. And then also for them with each other, knowing each other more. So. One more time, we better wrap up. Speaking of your students, I think this is a very good way to get them to talk because um, speaking to my fourth and for, for my fifth grade students this year, they don't know how to dialogue. We talked about that earlier. They really don't know how to have a discussion. And it's interesting. And this would be a very good way to get them in the upper, because like I said we're elementary, so it's a little bit different, different, to get them to talk, to get them to listen to one another. You can have a difference of opinion, but it's okay. You know what I mean? You are not
not going to always